Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. It's another great day in Texas agriculture, and I'm so glad you've joined us for another edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas, out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Back about six years ago, the sugarcane aphid absolutely wreaked havoc on Texas high plain sorghum fields, but then came a major counteroffensive. I'm James Hunt, and I'll talk about where things stand now on Texas Ag Today. There is a new leader over at the Texas Beef Council. I'm Jessica Domel, and we'll hear from her coming up on Texas Ag Today. Soil conditions in Central Texas continue to be wet, which is very different than how we ended 2020. This is Dr. Shane McClellan, and I'll have more from Waco. We'll have those stories, plus the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The sugarcane aphid caused big trouble with Texas sorghum growers a few years ago, but thankfully those days seem to be behind us now. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. The popular prediction for Texas High Plains area crop production is that we'll see a big jump in sorghum acres this year, which is nice to hear given that sorghum has kind of been in recovery mode ever since that horrible sugarcane aphid literally blew into our area from the south back in 2015. First time we'd seen aphid up here, nobody knew what to do about it, and so it was a problem and destroyed a lot of acres before we knew what to do. And so, yeah, a lot of people at that point said, hey, no more sorghum for me if we're going to have this. That certainly caused a decrease in acres. That's Brent Bean, agronomy director for the Sorghum Checkoff, who says, fortunately, in the years since the aphid's initial airborne invasion, much has been done to subdue the pest, especially with the development of sugarcane aphid-tolerant hybrids. Tolerance does make a difference. Now, you may have to spray but it's not going to be a disaster like it was in 2015. Those aphids are going to multiply much slower, give you time to get it treated if you need to treat, or if you are going to treat, you did just one application, not two or three. And when it comes to treating the aphid, Dr. Bean says the chemical arsenal is growing. We had two insecticides, Transform and Desivanto, that did an excellent job of controlling the aphid. And then just most recently, uh, within the last couple of months, three months or so, we've got a new product from BASF called Safina. So now we've got products that we can use. Also helping farmers here, producers downstate doing their part to help beat back the aphid problem. Because we're doing a much better job of treating for the aphid down in South Texas and as you move north, you just don't have the aphid population to blow in up here and be a real problem. So that's been a big plus too and that has to do with people just taking care of their aphids either through pollen hybrids or they're treating when they need to. More good news about sorghum tomorrow. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas Beef Council has a new executive director. Jessica Domel has more. Today we are joined by Dr. Molly McAdams. She replaced retiring executive vice president Richard Wortham at the beginning of the year. 
this really is a bit of a dream job for me. What folks may or may not know about me is that early, very early in my career, I worked for Texas Beef Council. So I'm coming back. The delta, the time between when I first was here and I'm here now, I've had a lot of different career opportunities. But it has made me very appreciative of not just the Beef Council and the employees that work here, who we represent, how we get information to consumers, but also just being able to work for and on behalf of ranchers and cattlemen in the state of Texas. Prior to her role at the Beef Council, McAdams co-founded and was president of OM Cubed. There, she used her knowledge of food and animal science, marketing, and manufacturing to help small and mid-sized meat producers grow their businesses. Prior to that, she spent nearly 13 years with the grocery chain HEB. McAdams and her husband also own a ranch. As executive vice president of the Texas Beef Council, she'll be responsible for providing vision and strategic planning, ensuring the Beef Council's fiscal health, optimizing staff recruitment and development, overseeing programs, serving as a staff liaison to several committees, and numerous other duties. McAdams says coming into the role, she has a great opportunity to dive into what's next for the Texas Beef Council. We are going right into long-range planning. The beef industry long-range plan was recently released, and of course that plan takes a very long time. It's very comprehensive, and it, it takes months and months to develop it. And then really what happens is then other organizations tend to get into action around their strategy planning and what their long-range plan will be as far as how they fit into the overall beef industry, and we're no different. So Texas Beef Council is going to start that whole process with our board, McAdams says the long-range planning will help them focus and direct their efforts on strategies that are not just important for the overall beef industry, but that are specific to the state of Texas. I've been on board since November 2nd. I've been here long enough to know some of the things that I think we're doing a really great job at, and then also some other things that I think that we could continue to push on. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Soil moisture conditions in Central Texas look very good right now. Dr. Shane McClellan has more from Waco. The wet conditions in Central Texas are due to a consistent wet overcast weather pattern that really started on December 31st and hasn't really ever left us. There have been a few spring-like days scattered in with the overcast weather. Uh, 60 degree days clear. I think there was two days like that. The rest of January has been fairly wet. We haven't had a lot of sunlight reaching the ground to dry things up. A large amount of our moisture has been from a constant drizzle. Uh, the, these low amounts of moisture spread out over time has the ground saturated, uh, but it's not enough to, to fill stock tanks. Most of our stock tanks are about at a half to three-quarter level. Any large amounts of moisture that would fall on us would become runoff water right away due to the soaked soil we have. Feeding livestock is a pretty sloppy business right now. Honestly, after being so dry to end 2020, most of our livestock producers are, are okay to be playing out in the mud just to get livestock fed. The spread out moisture accumulation uh, has made everything wet and saturated. And uh, if once we do receive some sunlight, ryegrass, other cool season annuals that are out in livestock pastures will start greening up, along with a wheat notes that it'll respond with some rapid growth. Corn planting is right around the corner. As soon as we do have some dry weather, I expect farmers to get out and make a few test runs to check planters and equipment. Corn does require a soil temperature of 50 degrees to germinate. Planting into soil that is less than 50 degrees will cause the seed to sit dormant, and it could increase the seed vulnerability to disease. 
Damage to the seed, it won't germinate correctly. It could be a spotty stand as well. As of January 25th, our current soil temperature was 61 degrees. Our five-day average soil temperature was 53 degrees. So we're warm enough to plant right now. We're slightly warmer than we were this time last year. Weather permitting, I expect corn planting in Central Texas to start sooner rather than later. Just need some dry weather. This is Dr. Shay McClellan reporting from Waco for Texas Ag Today. The U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol is a new industry-wide sustainability program, and they're encouraging U.S. cotton producers to enroll before the upcoming crop season. Craig Brown is vice president of producer affairs for the National Cotton Council. He says the program can bring value to cotton growers who enroll. One, he gets to evaluate his farming operation, compare it to his neighbors, to those in his state and nationally on how he's doing from a responsibly produced standpoint, from an environmental standpoint, about things that maybe he can improve his operation on. It's a chance to really evaluate confidentially. No personal data is shared with anyone else except for the protocol administration. And then I think as a possibility, with all the emphasis now, particularly with this new administration regarding environmental issues, we believe there may be some opportunities down the road for growers who are participating in the protocol to take advantage of programs that may become available on a voluntary basis on things such as carbon credits, on eligibility for NRCS programs that could be facilitated by their participation in the protocol. We're not there yet, but we think there are some potential opportunities coming up that growers may be able to take advantage of by being in the protocol. And we aim to explore those possibilities in the very near future. Growers can get more information on the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol by going to trustuscotton.com. Farm bankruptcies declined in 2020, but that doesn't necessarily mean the outlook for agriculture is improving. Michael Clements has the details from Washington. Chapter 12 farm bankruptcy filings in 2020 were the third highest over the last decade, despite a decline in 2020, according to American Farm Bureau Federation Chief Economist John Newton. For 2020, we had 552 Chapter 12 family farm bankruptcies. That was down about 7% from what we saw in 2019, 43 filings less than last year. Newton says the agriculture sector is not out of the woods yet. Chapter 12 bankruptcy is often the last option for farmers and ranchers. It's not something that folks make lightly, and it's not something that happens just with one bad year. We've had several years of low commodity prices, and while things have turned around this year, I doubt that the improvements this year saved anybody from ultimately having to make that unfortunate decision to seek Chapter 12 reorganization. Newton says there are other factors that may impact the data. This whole year, nearly, we've been in a remote work environment. And when you look across all the chapters of the bankruptcy code, we saw 230,000 fewer filings than last year. So that tells me that the reduction in bankruptcies might be attributable to the difficulty trying to file a case remotely. The struggles continue. Delinquency rates on commercial loans, they were up more than 5% compared to year-ago levels. And then we also saw USDA recently issue new guidelines on farmer loans to help those folks that are distressed delay repayment. Read more on the Market Intel page at fb.org. Michael Clements, Washington. There are millions of wild pigs in Texas, and they can easily do millions of dollars of damage in a single night. I'm Jessica Dommel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. And elevated insulin levels in horses can cause them to founder, but there's something you can do to prevent that. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells how coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today.
National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, and FFA students across the country will be sharing their stories. I'm Doster Harper, president of the National FFA Organization, and I'm from the state of Georgia. National FFA Week is a time to share what FFA is and the impact it has on members every day. And because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, that impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Elevated insulin levels in horses can cause them to founder, but there are things you can do to reduce insulin levels and hopefully prevent that from happening. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd tells how. Some horses are called easy keepers because they need very little feed to maintain their body weight. And if given even normal amounts of feed, will gain weight. These easy keeper horses are the ones we are concerned may have high insulin levels, and so testing their insulin level is a good idea, because if they do have high insulin, a dietary change and medication can decrease the chance of founder. Founder is a serious condition that can lead to permanent lameness, and many horses have to be euthanized due to the severe foot pain. In the past, we took a blood sample of a fasting horse to measure the glucose and insulin, but recent studies have shown that some horses with insulin resistance will be missed with this test. However, it has been shown that an oral sugar test is much more accurate at checking insulin levels. And this can be performed by giving your horse a specified amount of corn syrup in the mouth and then checking a blood insulin level in 75 minutes. There are other more detailed methods of checking insulin, but they are much more involved and more expensive. So if your horse is overweight or has foundered in the past, ask your veterinarian about performing an oral sugar test to check for insulin resistance. If present, the diet can be changed and various medications and some supplements can be used to lower the insulin and decrease the chance of founder. Thyroid medication is commonly used to cause weight loss quickly and these horses must have decreased carbohydrates in the ration to decrease the chance of founder. There is also a supplement called InsulinWise that has been shown to potentially reduce the risk of laminitis. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. There are millions of wild pigs here in Texas, and they can do millions of dollars in damage in just a single night. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. This time of year, farmers in the southern parts of Texas are hard at work planting crops like corn. Farmers spend hours preparing the soil and planting the seeds. Unfortunately, it can be a frustrating endeavor when wild pigs are around. Dr. John Tomachek, a wildlife specialist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, explains. It's not uncommon to see a cornfield that's just been planted, and the night after planting or a day after planting, a sounder of pigs comes down the rows and roots up every seed corn that went into the ground. And that kind of damage is just obscene when you think about how much money did it cost to plant that crop? Okay, now I've lost that crop and I have two options. I either go in and I rework the soil and I replant everything and hope it doesn't happen again, or I let it go. And it's not just traditional crops. Wild pigs have also destroyed golf courses and football fields. The old value that we have traditionally assigned is that every pig throughout the course of its life will cause $200 of damage. And I think that is a way underestimate, but it's based on some research that was done. So it's a figure that we use. But generally speaking, I think we can say that that a single pig is worth a whole lot more. And so, you know, folks go, gosh, it's a lot of effort 
to trap those pigs, to control them. It's time, it's effort, it's money. But in almost every circumstance, the benefit far outweighs the cost. I think the tricky thing for folks is it can be tough if you're not directly presented with a farm field that's been destroyed or turf that's been destroyed. It can be hard to wrap your head around how much did these things cost me? That was Dr. John Tomacek, a wildlife specialist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cattle futures climbed higher once again on Thursday, and that's causing the feedlots to ask higher money for cash cattle. Plus, we saw a big jump in the cotton market, one of the biggest ones in recent memory. We'll take a look at all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 20th through the 27th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Anna Mathis from Arkansas. Because FFA and agricultural education prepare students for careers, leadership, and the ability to face what the future holds, the FFA impact is profound. Share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Thursday was a higher day for the cattle complex, both live and feeder cattle futures moving higher. We ended up closing with February live cattle up 97 cents, 116.45. The April up $1.30 at 123.75. June live cattle up 72 cents at 120.20. Feeder cattle higher, March up 97 cents, 139.50. April feeders up 85, 142.67. May feeder cattle up 75 cents, 145.07. The higher fed cattle futures may be causing the feedlots to hold out to try to get higher money this week. 115 has been asking price all week long. However, the Packers haven't been willing to step up and pay that kind of money yet. We did see some cattle sell in a special online fed cattle exchange auction. Now, that's normally held on Wednesday, but we had two this week. So a Thursday online fed cattle exchange auction. Texas had 582 head offered, 175 of those sold at 113.75. Boxed beef prices lower. The choice down 28 cents at 235 even. Select down 213 to 21.26. Now with a look at the livestock auctions, let's walk the pens with Larry Marble. Neighbor, it's Sheep and Goat Day on Walking the Pens. Let's head over to San Angelo and talk to Benny Cox from Producers and Cargyle. They sell them every Tuesday. Benny, how did that thing go for you? We had 47.26, which was about 500 or so less than what we had two sales in a row. They're doing some adjusting. You know, these things are so high. The market's still fabulous. I'm guessing kind of a 10 to $25 drop last week. We sure had another 10 to 20 this week. So most of those land probably $40 lower than they were two weeks ago. Still lots of $3 lambs. But the goats, they remain steady. The slaughter use, I'd call it steady. You know, they were really advanced last week. Slaughter nannies, 170 to 240 a pound. Most 
of them I bring over to, but the majority fell in that 195 to 230 range. The mature billies, 185 to uh, 245. The wool feeder lamb types that we sold yesterday, we didn't have a lot of them, but they were selling a range from 204 all the way up 296 on some lightweights. Uh, the slaughter lambs, the light end of those Hershey type from 250 to 360. Uh, the heavier weights, those over 80 pounds from 180s uh, all the way up to $3. We had a few of those light feeders that sell up to 326 back two or three weeks ago. We were talking about lots of those really light Hershey lambs bringing up 340 to 360, you know, just all day long. Slaughter use from a dollar to a dollar 40, mostly 110 to 130. Again, goats 270 to uh, 385, mostly 320 to 390. How many cattle have you drawn? You know, we'll be on top of on top of 1,000 again, I'm guessing, unless people just stay home. I'm watching that football game on Sunday. Well, tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Well, they can call me on my mobile. It's 325-234-4277. The office, same area code, 653-3371. Or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. Neighbor, you've been listening to me, Larry Marble, and Benny Cox at Producers and Cargyle San Angelo on today's edition of Walking the Pins from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Back over to the futures market now where lean hogs were mixed. February down $1.35, $71.02. April hogs up $0.10, cents, $79.30. February class 3 milk down to $15.56, 100 weight. March milk up 9 at $16.12. A very big jump in the cotton market. I don't remember seeing a jump this big in quite some time. Over 300 points on the nearby contracts. It looks like the International Cotton Advisory Committee has been issuing some world production estimates this week. Overall, that agency is calling for world cotton production to fall some 9%. And as that sunk into the market, we ended up seeing a big jump with March cotton up 329 points, 84.28. The May contract up 316, 85.49. And the new crop December, now above 80 cents. It jumped 216 points to close at 81.07. The Kansas City wheat market finishing lower. Not a whole lot of positive news right now to prop this market up. We are well off of the highs of 660 that we saw back last month. July wheat closing five and a half lower, 623 and a half. July Chicago wheat down five. 628 a bushel. Not a lot of direction in the corn market on Thursday. March corn down two cents at 550. September corn up three quarters, 477 and three quarters. The energy market's higher. March natural gas up 17 cents at 296. March crude oil up 57 cents, 5626 a barrel. The financial market's higher. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up 332 points, 31,056. The Nasdaq up 167, 13,777. The S&P 500 up 41 at 3,871. Well, that wraps up a look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. So glad to have you along with us. Remember, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.